0: Good morning, Happy New Year, and yes, Happy New Decade. It is Happy New Decade. What a day. I'm looking at your faces, and I'm loving you, my family. And welcome new visitors as well. Welcome to this family. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, It's good to see you. C.S. Lewis, let's start out this new year and new decade with a quote from Lewis. Who's surprised? No one. Maybe some visitors. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. We are embarking on a, as Nathaniel's made very clear, a new series, I'm just thrilled, I've to be in the book of Acts together. There's no timetable. We'll probably break it up with some smaller series uh, in between. But we're just, we're just gonna take our time and walk through this glorious book um, that, like Nathaniel said, is it's part two of the book of Luke. So Luke wrote this, and Luke is one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, I read one scholar, Gordon Fee, and he said that actually the reason that Um, one reading plan that we followed as a church through the year actually has you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, and then go back to read John. Because Luke and Acts are, they're to be read together. But he says that actually it's, they started being read apart because of the papyrus scrolls couldn't, Luke is the longest gospel. He doesn't have the most chapters, but he's the, he's the most voluminous of the gospel. So it's already a big book. And so putting Luke and Luke uh, part two, the book of Acts, on one scroll was impossible, which is one of the reasons the codex was invented. That's a different story. But um, so the point there is that Luke and Acts belong together. A lot of times we forget that, and I'll bring that to bear in just a second. Um, But also um, the fact that they were separated in God's providence, he used that for, um, for Acts to serve as a bridge. You read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give us the life, the death, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ who came and lived in our place, who came and died in our place, who rose in our place, who is alive now. And then you have the letters to the churches for the rest of the New Testament. And the letters to the new churches are saying, okay, in light of all that God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, how should we then live? Right? Letters to the, this early, these early churches scattered around the Mediterranean as they grow, as they're planted, as they grow. But the book of Acts is really neither of those. It's, it's sui generis. It's, 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 uh, that literally means like its own genre. It's unique. So it's not a gospel, and it's not an epistle uh, in the way that I just described. It's a bridge that bridges the gospels to the letters, the life of Christ to Okay, in, the, in light of who Christ is and what he's done and who he is now reigning and living, how should we then live as the people of God, as the children of God, uh, Acts is the only window we have into the explosive early growth of, uh, explosive growth, excuse me, of the early church. And so it's this amazing book where we see the, the early church growing and going through all sorts of trials and actually growing through those trials as Christ reigns through the power of his spirit in that church. And that really brings me to my point um, that I told you I'd get to in a second. And that is that this book, um, whose title is the Acts of the Apostles in a lot of our Bibles, would probably better be um, the continued word and deeds, or the continued words and deeds of Jesus Christ from heaven through his disciples on earth by his Holy Spirit. That's a mouthful. There's a reason that uh, they didn't title it that. It's like a Puritan title of a book. Um, but the point there is that right from the get-go, in the first two verses of this book, we see Luke telling us something that is key. And I've preached, we preached through Acts 1 and 2 in the past year, so if some of this sounds familiar, there's a reason for it. If you've been with us for a little bit, it's okay, because we're going to keep going. And it's things that are true from the Scriptures, especially, are worth, worth repeating and hearing again, so... Um, and, and I didn't look at my past sermon. I'm just, this is fresh bread. This is what I feel God calling me to now. So I pray that, um, that we'll all receive what he has for us this morning, and I think we will. But um, Luke tells us that really what we're going to see in this window, this only window we have into the first and early church in the generation after Jesus rose, what did it look like? What, in light of that, ought we to look like? what ought we to pray for, um, is not the acts, uh, it is the acts of the apostles, but first and foremost, primarily, what is it? It is the act, it is the continuing acts and words of Jesus Christ through his people, the church. So what, let me, let me make my point here a little more clearly just by reading the verse, Acts 1.1. How does Luke start out? He wrote to Theophilus in the first book in Luke. He's still writing to Theophilus. What does he say? In the first book of Theophilus, he's talking about his gospel, the gospel of Luke. In the first book of Theophilus, check this out. I have dealt with all that Jesus, what? Began to do and to teach. Implication. I'm now going to write to you about all that Jesus continued to do and to teach through his church, as he reigns now from heaven by his spirit, as he connects his very self and his very life to his people, his body. I'm gonna show you what Jesus is still doing. And I would argue and will argue through the rest of the series that he is, it's the continuing, it's not just the continuing in the book of Acts. We're in Acts 29 church for a reason. In signing up with us, you've already made that decision as to where you stand on this. I'm kind of joking about that. And if you're a visitor, you're like, what the heck? okay? But the point is, Acts 29, there are 28 chapters in Acts. One of the reasons that Acts 29 was named Acts 29 is that it means that we believe that this is not just descriptive. It is descriptive. It was a one-time event. Pentecost happened to establish God's body on earth, a new creation, Christ reigning from heaven through his church. But it's not just descriptive. It's also prescriptive. This is what the church ought to do to look like. I will stand on that point. I will die on that point, okay? This is how I read the book of Acts. We are, we as a church ought to be Christ's body, little Christ's. Christ continuing his work and his words through you in the Galleria and around the world, okay? That's that's what Luke seems to be strongly, strongly implying here. Let me read a a quote from John Stott, uh, just an evangelical Anglican powerhouse of a preacher in England last century. He says this, Luke's first two verses are therefore extremely significant. How often do we pass over those first two verses? I have for decades. It is no exaggeration to say that they set Christianity apart from all other religions. Check this out. These regard their founder, so these other religions, any other religion, Islam, um, Buddhism, Hinduism, and on and on we could go, Mormonism, okay? These regard their founder as having completed his ministry during his lifetime, okay? Luke says Jesus only began his. True, he finished the work of atonement, yet that end was also a beginning, For after his resurrection, ascension, and gift of the Spirit, he continued his work. First and foremost, through the unique foundation ministry of his chosen apostles. Descriptive, right? A one-time event. And subsequently, through the post-apostolic church of every period and place. The book of Acts is continuing through us. Okay. Um, Acts 1, 8 is the theme of this book and I'm just breaking it down. Let me read it, and then I'll break it down to uh, five words for you, and then actually preach through fairly, fairly quickly, I hope, through the, these three points here. Um, Acts is eight the, is the theme and thrust of the book, and it gives us the plot line. Acts 1.8, but you, Jesus says to his apostles, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is exactly... This is, the, this is the, the, book, the book of Acts shrunken into a verse. What we see from here is the explosive outgrowth of this verse, this verse taking place. Why? Because Jesus is in charge. He's the Lord of all things. He's died and risen. He's pulling the levers of the universe, and this will happen because he says it will happen, and it's still happening today, and we get to be part of that pageant. Like Nathaniel said when he was anchoring a second ago, this is nothing less. This isn't our own efforts. May they perish if they're disconnected from the living Christ. This is the word of God reigning and the spirit of God connecting us to his work and his person and going out from us into our lives and into the lives of people we touch and into the environments that we live in. He cares about people, but he also cares about place. So Acts 1-8, wait for power to witness. So those are the three points. Um, Wait, point two, for power, three, to witness. So briefly, let's just look at, um, hopefully briefly, but let's just look at um, the first point, wait. Let's just look at the first point, wait. I find it astonishing and refreshing. Of course, how candid the scriptures are and how candid Acts is here, and also um, a bit um, disturbing, how candid the book of Acts here is about his disciples who have been with him for three years. They've seen him crucified. They've seen him risen. They've been called his brothers. They are his shock troops. And how clueless they are still, right as he is literally about to leave earth until he returns bodily and comes again in power. They are still so clueless. If you look at Acts 1-6, what do they say? It says, so when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you, at this time, restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, they're still thinking geopolitically. Okay, now that you've risen and we see this is all part of your plan, okay, is it now that you're gonna throw off the Roman yoke? It's easy to judge, but I think that's a window, what I wanna say is that's a window into, here's the point, how clueless and how powerless we are until we get the undoing, the anointing, the unction of the Holy Spirit for power to witness to Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't wringing his hands. He did not stop and go, man. It's not like he w- started going up and then they asked the question. He was like, kind of like Mary Poppins. He came back down. He was like, okay, I thought I could leave, but clearly you still don't have a clue. We're gonna have to take, have a lot more sessions here. He doesn't say that. He's not wringing his hands. What does he say? On the contrary, he says, don't worry. Everything will take care of itself when you get clothed from on high. That's the differentiator between clueless and powerless. Look at what Peter just did. Peter is a brother. Peter's been reconciled to Jesus. He's been breathed on in John 20 along with the other disciples. Thomas wasn't there, but he probably got breathed on later. By Jesus and said, receive, it was said to him, receive the Holy Spirit. These are, can I use the word anachronistically, Christians. This is not, being endowed with the Holy Spirit is not, this is not talking about becoming a Christian. If you are a believer and have trusted in Jesus Christ and, and known that he lived a life in your place and died in your place and is the risen king, you died for me, that's what I deserved, I believe. You have his spirit in you. You're his child. But you can still be without understanding and without power as they were unless you wait. And that's the first point here. He, he had confidence um, in the Holy Spirit and his plan was wait. Don't run around and start proclaiming in your own power. Don't run around and start witnessing, not just in word, but in deed, in demonstration, to my kingdom until you're clothed with my very spirit. And then you will do greater things than I have done. I will multiply myself thousands and thousands of times over because now I get to live in you. Just wait, 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 wait. And I think that this is one of the reasons the American church is so powerless. And where we are powerless and where I am powerless is because I refuse to wait. And I want to talk a little about, in this first point, waiting, various ways that we can wait as the disciples did and in our own lives. Um, but I think that when we charge ahead in our own strength through worry, through fear. Fear, has anyone heard fear as a theme this morning? Did I hear it this morning before, as I was prepping, as I was praying? Yes. Am I trying to let go of my fear even in this sermon, even at this beginning of a new year and a new decade? Am I trying to let go of the fear of trying to control things and letting God have his way in me and in us? Yes, I think that's a theme for us. I really do. I'm praying more than ever, trying more than ever to ask God, Lord, um, what, would you, what would you have, what is your fresh word through your written word by your Holy Spirit for your people here now today? And I feel like somehow this is tied into what he's trying to tell us. Perfect love casts out fear, ekbalo. I don't know why I said that in the Greek. It just popped out in my head. But it's a violent verb, to throw something away, It casts it out. There's no room for the spirit of the living God coming upon us and filling us and fear. There's no room for both. The expulsive powers of a new affection. Thomas Chalmers, 19th century Scotsman, right? Right, okay. So, do we want this, yes, did it change their lives forever? Yes, did it change the world around them and the world forever? Yes, do we want this, help us, Lord, help our unbelief, help, help, help those of us who don't want it, but we want it. What's the alternative? Not living out this calling that God has for us, the reason for which he died and rose, please no. I don't want that. Life's too short. Eternity's too long. Okay, so we got to wait. We got to wait. We're still in point one, longest point, okay? We have to wait for power. We have to wait for power. I mentioned this a few weeks ago in some context. I don't even know what now, but One of the things that's haunted me for a few months now is the idea, and I haven't scratched around in detail to verify this, I think it's more of a a fun anecdote to get the gray matter working and the heart working, but someone talking about the fact that in the Gospels it is clear that Jesus revealed himself as as the resurrected Lord after his crucifixion to over 500. Some in groups, some individually, like with James and Peter, he met with them individually, Um, some in smaller groups, some in larger groups, but he revealed himself to over 500, and here he's with his disciples, and he tells them, wait in Jerusalem, and everything's going to be okay. You're clueless, you're powerless, not for long. Just wait, though. Don't run around. Wait. So he talked to, so he tells the disciples here, but in the upper room, we find in the text that Nathaniel didn't read in the rest of Acts chapter 1, we find how many in the upper room praying and waiting and following his directions. How many? It's a Bible quiz time, sorry. You didn't know that. Get another cup of coffee if you need to. It won't bother me. How many are in the upper room waiting before Acts 2, before Pentecost happens, before the Spirit falls? How many are waiting and receive tongues as a fire, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, and then go out? How many? Okay, 120. 144 is a good number in Revelation. Um, But yeah, good. So 120, you're close. 120. So, but if five, here's the question that someone posed that I came across if 500, the disciples clearly received this word from the Lord, told maybe everyone that had seen the risen Lord, his followers, they're convinced. Where are the, here's the question, where are the other 380? 500 minus 120, 380 for you, math challenge, that's me. Yeah, got it, okay. Where are the other 380? Now again, who knows, maybe only 320 heard, but I think it serves as a good, a good, Thing to think about, and that is that let's just imagine that those 380 did go out in their own strength with tons of zeal. Were they, because waiting in life on the Lord, whether we're in the depths of despond or we're chomping on the bit ready to go in our own strength or somewhere in between, must of life is somewhere in between. If we are going out in our own strength, do you think that they were more effective than those who for 10 days? Jesus was with them, resurrected for 40. Pentecost was 50 days after his crucifixion. So for about 10 days, they were waiting and praying of one accord, just waiting and praying, waiting on the Lord and praying, on their faces, together, of one accord, of one mind, begging the Lord, waiting on him, waiting on his power, obeying him, not going out on their own strength. Here's the question. Do you think that those 120 who waited were just a little more effective at proclaiming the kingdom of God and replicating little Christs than those other 380. I think it's safe to say, I think it's safe to say yes to that. Waiting seems counterintuitive, but it's what Christ calls us to. It's what Christ calls us to. I'm not, so what's one way of applying this? One way of applying this is I want friends to be a church who, yes, waits in ostensible, literal prayer together. Prayer meeting tonight. Why do we do this? Because we believe this word. We believe this still applies. It's not just descriptive. It's prescriptive. God calls us to be a people. Prayer is really us saying, this is where I end and this is where you start. I'm done trying to do things in my own strength. I need you help in whatever way. Help us be a witness. Help me with the mess of my own life. Help me with my fears. Help me with my anxieties and insecurities. Help me be more like Christ. Help, just help in a a thousand different ways because Christ plays in 10,000 ways, doesn't he? So that's what prayer is and that's what we do things like tonight. And we want you to come and we want you to cry out with us and we want you to obey the Lord together with us as as he calls us to be a people who wait. And and in, in our parish families, we wanna be a people who wait. We want to be a people who wait. In our anchor groups, which are small expressions of those where we have real confession of sin, accountability, um, prayer, and digging into the word together. We want to be a people who wait. A prayerful, really a prayerful people. Almost, prayer is almost synonymous with, with that, with waiting. And that's how they wait as they pray. But we also want to be a people who are in a state. So secondly, sort of we wait in those ostensible ways. But we also want to be a people who, Andrew Murray said, and I mentioned this last night with the, a supper club, Um, Andrew Murray said, um, we pray as we live because it's the life that prays. What what does that mean? I'm not sure. But one thing I think that it means is that we want our lives, not just in a prayer meeting, not just with our parish families, not just when we're on our knees, devotional time in 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 the morning with the Lord, those are all good and necessary and right. But for that to be a springboard into something that characterizes the rest of our day and the rest of our lives. In that to be a people who are constantly waiting on the Lord, looking in connection with him by his spirit in a constant state of prayer. The Psalm 1, people who are meditating on the law of the Lord day and night, who are speaking his word back to him and talking to him and inviting him into every situation. And who as we walk and as we live, we're waiting. Like Jesus in John 5, when uh, the Pharisees were up against him in his grill as as they constantly were. And he said, look, I'm only doing what my father's doing. So take it up with him. He didn't say that last part, but that was my translation. I only say what I hear my father saying. Here's the question. How was it possible for Jesus to do what the father was doing and to say what he was saying? How? Because he was waiting. He was listening. He wasn't, even Jesus was not advancing in his own power. Jesus' life, if I can say this with reverence and I do, in a sense, he was the son of God from start to finish, always has been. But in a sense, he was so, it was so unexceptional in, in one sense that even his own brothers and sisters didn't believe. They thought he was crazy when he started his ministry in power at about age 30 because why, the Holy Spirit had come upon him. He, he waited, and that's the point I'll get to in a second. He waited in that third point for power. The disciples waited for power for endowing from the Holy Spirit, ought not we? But also in the way that we live like Jesus, listening to the Father um, through his written written word as he speaks to us, taking it back to his word, taking it to our community, weighing it, um, and doing what he's doing and saying what he's saying. But also, and then um, I'll move into a much shorter point um, um, for power, but how else do we wait? Um, We wait in our darkness. We wait in our darkness. What do I mean? I think that the way that we can, we can see Jesus waiting in his life and in his ministry constantly on the Father and not advancing in his own strength and being confident of that. And as Justin was saying, Israel waiting was called to wait. God's people have always been called to wait on him, waiting at the Red Sea. Waiting, forced to wait, right? A lot of times we're forced to wait. wait I'm waiting here, Lord. Pharaoh's coming and there's a Red Sea in front of me. All we can do is wait. And what does he say? Be still. Why are you still talking to me? Advance, where? Into the Red Sea. And be still and see my mighty hand for your salvation. I'm gonna do it all. And that's what Jesus is telling us. I am at the helm of the cosmos. I have done it all. Wait on me. I have everything you need. But where does that most often and most powerfully play itself out in the life of Jesus and then in our life because we're attached to him vitally by faith through his Holy Spirit? It happened at the cross. Where more than at Gethsemane The pregame for the cross in the garden where he relinquished his own will totally to the will of the Father and waited on him. If there's another way, Father, let it be, but if not, I trust you, I'm waiting on you. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. On the cross, literally pinned to the cross by his own choice. Can you imagine the temptation? If we were pinned to the cross, there would be no temptation. It would just be, I'm done here. There's no more choice. For Jesus, that's not true. Every second he could have come off the cross, And chosen with one thought and one prayer to destroy all of his enemies. But he allowed himself, if I can say this, to be incinerated and not destroyed, but in his humanity completely incinerated for us. And every second and every moment he chose to wait on the Father. And through that death came a power that is remaking the worlds. And that's what happens with God's people when they wait on him. And I just want to encourage you, brother or sister, if you are in the midst of suffering or questioning or despair or darkness, I want this word to encourage you. Sometimes it looks like, and we want this to happen, sometimes it looks like the apostles and the early church in being literally, the ground is shaken, we are filled, there's weeping, there's praise, there's going out in power for power of witness. But sometimes, and a lot of times, it looks like being in the midst of a very hard place. And choosing instead of, and choosing to, instead of looking at grasping, at, the, at those moments, we're grasping for anything. If somebody, If I'm drowning and somebody throws me a straw hat, I'm gonna grab it, you know? I'm gonna grab anything I can, but waiting on the Lord in those moments and letting him crucify all that is not Christ in us through that suffering. He will raise you up. He will, through broken vessels, through fragile vessels, shine a beautiful and a powerful light through you. That's how it works. So I want to encourage you in that. um, And I want to move to a much shorter point, I promise you, for power. Um, We wait for power um, here in this this message. Um, The disciples, like I said, this is very short because I've already mentioned it, but they waited for power. Um, they were already, there's so much evidence that they were already reconciled to him. He had already called them my brothers. They already had his spirit, but they were clueless and powerless. And so we see, we see not only here in Acts 2, they get, the promise happens, they get the Holy Spirit as Christ is reigning. They're connected to him in that way and they go out in power. The difference between Peter denying Christ, a child of God, but without the endowment of the Holy Spirit and then being filled, being come upon with the Holy Spirit as he waited, and then going out in Acts 2, which we'll see in a couple weeks. I'm going to preach on the uh, ascension of Christ next week. So when was the last time you heard a sermon on the ascension of Christ? Incarnation, yeah. Life, yep, absolutely. Death, uh uh-huh. Resurrection, yes. Rain, well, okay, rain is the ascension in a sense. But return, sure. But the ascension, it's it's key to this before we move on. But in two weeks, we'll be in Acts 2 probably. We'll see where the Lord leads. But in Acts 2, Peter preaches this lights out lion's, Just lion sermon. Um, And it's because he's waited. It's because he has power. But also you see that throughout the book of Acts. It's not just a one-time thing. Throughout the book of Acts, these Christians, these followers of Christ who are new creatures in Christ, they need power, they wait on him, a lot of times in a prison, in suffering, and things are shaken, they're shaken, they're filled, and then what happens? They praise God and they go out. They're propelled out for power and witness. If they needed it, if Christ waited on the Holy Spirit and needed the Holy Spirit for powerful ministry in word and deed. Who are we to say we don't? Can we be a people who wait? Um, so the disciples uh, were filled with power throughout, we'll see that throughout this book, not just in Acts 2, but also Jesus himself, like I said. Um, and um, again, is this, is this book descriptive or prescriptive? I think it is descriptive and not just. I also think it's prescribing how God wants his church to be until he comes again until he comes again. Okay, so that's power. Um, I told you it'd be shorter, and it it is. Last thing I'll say about the the second point and then move on to the third, and I'll close, is this. We see that um, a lot of times, and I've preached on this before kind of recently, but a lot of times when we think about power to witness that we know that we need, not going out in our own strength, but in his, a lot of times, depends on where you're raised but where I was raised and I thank God that I was raised the way I was but there are deficiencies in every tradition right we got to go back to the scriptures when we think about power to witness a lot of times what do we think about preaching proclaiming and yes we ought to be ministers of reconciliation in our words literally proclaiming the good news of the gospel that you can't do it God has done it for you in the person of Christ come to him he loves you so much You can't come to him in your sin. He's become a sin sacrifice for you. This is the gospel. He's making all things new come. But also, what does Luke Luke start with in Acts 1? Again, it says, in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. It's not just a tell gospel. It's the show and tell gospel. That we would wait on God in small groups, here together in prayer meetings, here now as we congregate to worship, but throughout our days, wherever we go, that we would be in a spirit of waiting on him to demonstrate in word and in deed the kingdom of God. Because that's what he talked to them about for 40 days. You notice that? What did he talk to them about? For 40 days, he talked to them what about the reign of God in Christ. Now that I've done what I've done, the kingdom of God is gonna go forth in a way that's gonna change everything. Often through your suffering, often through your brokenness, often through getting thrown in prison. Most of these guys ended up martyrs. That's my last point because martyr is the Greek word and witness is the English translation. So we're gonna finish with that in just a second. But um, so we're gonna be talking a lot about that, but um, power to witness is for word, for the proclamation of the gospel, but also for the proclamation of the gospel indeed. What does the reign of the king look like? with sickness, with sin, with disease, with all sorts of things, everything that the Spirit came to give us, all the gifts, all the gifts, okay? Are we all guaranteed to be healed in this life? Of course not. That's a heresy. We're all going to die unless Christ comes again. Do we believe that Christ could raise someone from the dead? Oh, yes, I do. Should we be praying for it? Yes. So sin, sickness, All these things. He's come to make all things new. We want to be pressing into that together. Okay, so that's that. So we wait for power, but finally, third point, last point, to witness. And again, I've kind of gotten ahead of myself, and that's fine. But the word witness is the word martus, from which we get our word martyr. Um, And so what I want to say is that this word in the Greek does not mean martyr. A martyr is someone who dies for what they believe. Um. Witness is a good translation by the ESV crew. That's what I'm reading from. So they didn't translate martyr. You will be my martyrs for a reason. Martyr, martius in Greek means witness. But why why do we have the word martyr coming from this word in the Greek martyr? Because these witnesses for Christ, because of their witness, because of their waiting on God, and then being filled with power by the Holy Spirit, and witnessing to Christ as little Christ's, Ended up getting most of them. It got them all in the hot water and most of them ended up getting killed for their faith. What's the point here? The point here is that they turned the world, this is, we see this later in the book, they turned the world upside down. These were Christians that nobody could ignore. Love them or hate them, but that's it. Those are only, your only two choices, right? You can't ignore them. And we wanna make Christ a non-ignorable presence here in the Galleria. And this is the way forward for that to happen. But, the world was turned upside down, but so were they. So were their lives. So do we have to count the cost? Yes. Do we want this? I pray that we could make it a prayer. Lord, help me want this. If it's you, if it's your plan, please, Lord, help my unbelief. Come and do this in us. And I've, we're, seeing, we're seeing it, but we want to see more. We want to press into this. Um, and also, just by way of encouragement, these people whom the Spirit had filled, these who had been with Jesus... What was it that helped them to accomplish this Acts 1-8 thing where um, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth? Did they just immediately, once they got filled with the Spirit, start? they went out into the temple precincts and started preaching, but did they go immediately into these far-reaching areas? No, they stayed around Jerusalem. What was it that caused them to go out and to fulfill this word? Persecution. I heard someone say it. In other words, When we embrace this, when we say yes to this, when we submit to the Lord and say, you're reigning, you've done this, fill me with your spirit, fill us. We wanna wait on you and we wanna be propelled out in word and deed to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ where you've called us. Um, God will use your suffering. He will use, they aren't accidents. It's his providence to make you more like him, to sharpen your witness and to send us to places both emotionally, physically, geographically that we wouldn't normally go. So be encouraged. We'll see a lot more of that as we continue um, together in this book. I wanna just close with a couple observations. Um, Why 12 disciples? Just two more quick things. Why 12 disciples? I think most of you know the answer to that, but um, it's pretty prominent here because right here he's only talking to 11. In the text that follows, that closes out the chapter, of Acts 1, they choose, the rest of the chapter is basically them huddling up, praying together, and then choosing, rolling dice, casting lots to choose uh, the 12th. Why don't they have 12? Judas. Judas hanged himself. Judas betrayed Christ and hanged himself. Put him outside of the mercy of God, okay? Um, Why 12? Why is this so important? Why can't they just do this with 11? It's, the answer there is the, another question, why not 11 tribes of Israel? There were 12 tribes of Israel um, from uh, Jacob's 12 sons because that's the, what God chose. And what, is, what are we being told here? These men are Jews. They are a continuation of God's people, but through them, something new is happening. God's people will go out from them. There is a new covenant and a new creation event. And God's people will now go out through them in power to all the wide world, to the ends of the earth. Um, this is not just people preaching, you can be reconciled to God. It is a new creation event. Acts, there's a sense in which Acts is Genesis 2.0. This is God's plan A. Listen to this. The book of Acts is like the book of Genesis. The first time, uh, the first man, Adam, his name means man or human, disobeyed God at the tree, Right? He disobeyed God about the tree, and he failed to keep God's commission to be fruitful and fill the earth with God's image. That's what God told him. Be fruitful and fill the earth with my image and multiply. Didn't do it because he breached relationship with God because he disobeyed God. Um, Instead, the earth was filled with evil as it was filled with God's image because it was filled with broken humans. What happens here? God's plan does not fail. The second time in this book, Genesis 2.0, the book of Acts, The second man, the second Adam, so-called in Romans 5 by Paul, obeyed God at the tree, at the cross. And he kept God's commission to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with God's image. And that's exactly what we see in Acts 2 and beyond. Um, Even to this present day, Sunday, January 5th, 2020, we get to be part of this story. We get to be part of this pageant. The last point, and then I close. Um, if you look at verse 11, it's, um, it's one of my favorite little verses in Acts. I love verse six and how clueless the disciples are. It's so encouraging, but then they get the spirit. But I also love verse 11. Verse 11 says, um, the angels, see, what happens is Christ ascends and he leaves the disciples clueless. And they're like this. Literally, just, they're just going like that. That's how he leaves them. Not encouraging. But hang on. But hang on. We got to, we'll, read, we'll read chapter two soon. Um, and that's so encouraging to me because that's the way I live a lot of my life. Lord, where are you? Where'd you go? I don't have what I need. Wait, he's telling me. Huh. Um, the angels say in verse 11, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, in other words, translation of men of Galilee is most of them were from Galilee. Hey, country bumpkins from the sticks. Hey, Hicks. Right? Hey, unsophisticated people that most people wouldn't choose to be team A. Uh, <laughs> why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Why do I love that so much? What are they saying? Justin has the gift of summary, of quick summary. I will say it this way and try to adopt Justin's gift. Get to work. Get to waiting. He's told you what to do. You're sitting here doing this. The time is short. In other words, what is the time that we have left? They give it to us in this one verse. He's gone up. And there's one more thing in this age, friends. You want to know what your mission ought to be for life until you die? Can I tell you? It's right here. There's one more thing that's going to happen. He's going to come back just as he came, went up, and that is in power. He's not coming back in weakness. He's not going to get crucified. He's reigning now, and he's working in power often through your weakness by the economy of the cross. And when he comes again, he's coming on a war horse to gather his own to himself and to finish evil and sin for good and to throw Satan into hell and to put a top on it and he's gonna make all things new. And behold, he is making all things new. So the time right now is the time between his going up in power and his coming again in power. And our mission is to continue to allow him to reign in word and deed through us and to be ministers of the reconciliation he has wrought by himself on the cross. And his resurrection is proof that he is victorious. And his ascension, as I'll preach next week, is big time proof and the Spirit is proof of that, and we'll talk about that next week. So let me close with not my words, but the words of John Dunn in his sermon on Acts 1.8, a key verse to this book, to the Virginia Company on November 30th, 1622, about almost exactly 400 years ago. He says this, and then we'll pray. The acts of the apostles were to convey the name of Christ Jesus and to propagate his gospel all over the world. Beloved, I'm speaking this to you 400 years later, okay? You are actors upon the same stage too. The uttermost parts of the earth are your scene. Act out the acts of the apostles. I'm looking forward to the journey. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you are reigning. You are not dead like Muhammad. You are alive. You are reigning. You are seated, which means you're in session, which means court's in session, which means you're not worried. You are making of your enemies a footstool for your feet. In fact, the Father is for you because you've already finished your work And so we praise you, and so we take hope in you, especially in our dark places, especially in our suffering, because you came for one type of person, sinners, and you are greater than our sin. And so we worship you as the God who makes all things new and who came after us and is coming after us even now. Would we be a people who believe that for ourselves, who receive the love of the Father through Jesus and receive your power as we wait on you and then proclaim it, proclaim you, Jesus, to a waiting, lost, dark, world. We love you. We bless you. Get glory in Jesus' name. Amen.